0: In the early church, when one Christian would greet another, they would often say, He is risen, and the other would respond in that greeting, He is risen indeed. So that's where it comes from. So again, I probably won't be the last time I say it today, but He is risen. risen Oh, totally. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we come to you with a deep sense of gratitude, with care, concern, devotion with our love for you, to desire to live responsibly to you. And uh, we sense that you're with your company of followers, friends who share the life of the resurrection and want others to get in on it, to notice it, and to begin participating at the center of what you're doing rather than on the periphery. So we pray for strength and discernment to understand the culture that we are in. And we ask your blessing on the church, scattered and dispersed, and so much of it actually in despair, even on this Easter Sunday morning. And we pray that wherever we are and whatever places we go back into, may we be part of this resurrection life, knowing that you are present and knowing that you are doing work. You're not anxious about what's going to happen and whether this is going to work out or not. It's worked a long, long time, and it will continue to work. So mostly keep us faithful. Keep us attentive, adorational, sacrificial, and personal. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. It's Easter Sunday morning. Obviously, duh. And uh, I want to open up with a video this morning of people being baptized in water. The video is one that many of you have seen before, not all of you, but many of you. It's Pastor Paul. He's our pastor at Living Word Temple in the North End, and uh, he's baptizing a number of people from Living Word Temple at Birds Hill Park in the middle of the public summertime. It's beautiful. What I want you to do is watch this video very closely. Watch their faces. Look at their eyes. See what they say. Watch. talked to his disciples he told us three things he said go out and make disciples baptize them in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit and teach them to obey everything that i have taught you everything that i have commanded you everything that i left with you all of the teachings so baptism is a key important step in your faith As a community, we have to support each other and pray for one another and lift each other up Jesus. Hi, my name is Goblin and I've decided to follow Jesus. Amen. My name is Harry and I decided to follow Jesus. My name is Harry and I've decided to follow Jesus. My name is Rachel and I decided to follow Jesus. My name is, is Kieran and I decided to follow Jesus. My name is Anne and I decided to follow Jesus. My name is Eleanor and I decided to follow Jesus. My name is Judy yeah. and I've decided to follow Jesus my name is Julia and I've decided to follow Jesus' I'm Julia, and I decided to follow Jesus. my name is Lydia and I've decided to follow Jesus amen now if you have your cell phone your Bible app feel free to open it to Matthew chapter 28. And let's read it together, because this is what it says. It says, After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, and for an angel the Lord came down from heaven, and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning. His clothes were as white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. And the angel said to the woman, Don't be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. Just as he said, which is a wow moment. Simply put, just as he said means Jesus can be trusted. He foretold his disciples what was going to happen, and it happened. And the first piece of evidence for the bodily resurrection of Christ deals with the first eyewitnesses and the first to testify that they had seen him risen from the dead. If the resurrection was a hoax, you would never use, at that time, women to validate something like the resurrection if you wanted to lie about it. Because in the first century, according to the rabbinic writings, a woman's testimony was as valid as a thief's. So here at Soul Sanctuary, we believe that Jesus said that he can and is to be trusted. Listen. Churches will let you down. Christians will disappoint you. People will betray you. Friends will stab you in the back. Institutions of all shapes and sizes fail us, and are filled with all sorts of hypocrisy, greed, and facades, but Jesus can be trusted. And lots of people have have let us down, right? Are you all in the same boat with me? Lots of institutions have, have let us down. Churches or even other world religions fail, but Jesus can be trusted. And I'm not talking about religion or obnoxious christians and i'm not about people who knock on your door and people who want money but but where are you with jesus this morning see our belief is that he has never let anybody down and that he can be trusted the scriptures are full of that now maybe you're sitting here in the recesses of your mind maybe you're one of those skeptics that's saying yeah well prove it prove it the resurrection of christ is actually one of the 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 greatest fact in human history And and throughout the centuries to our present time, skeptics have argued against the historical uh, reliability of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Richard Dawkins himself said accounts of Jesus' resurrection and ascensions are about as well documented as Jack and the Beanstalk. Now, one of the biggest hurdles for many when it comes to becoming a Christian is our belief that we affirm the bodily resurrection of Jesus as a historical reality. In other words, it actually happened. And yet I've heard over and over again that we get this idea of the resurrection, you know, from the Bible. And look, at it's just some fairy tale by a bunch of people made up. There's no outside sources that even make a hint of a reference. So what I'd like us to do is just back up a little bit here on Easter Sunday morning. All four of the Gospels, they give us details of the crucifixion of Christ. They're... they're uh, They are actually accurate portrayals of this Roman practice. And and this has actually been confirmed by archaeology. Back in 1968, a gravesite in the city of Jerusalem was uncovered. It contained 35 bodies. Each of the men had died a brutal death. And historians actually believe that it was a result of their involvement in the Jewish revolt in AD 70. The inscription identified one individual of these 35 as Johann Ben uh, Hagogal. And study of the bones performed by the, the doctors and osteologists from, from uh, the Hadassah Medical School determined the man was 24 to 28. And you can find all this on your own. This is no secret. He was about five, six. He had a slight facial defect due to the fact that he had a cleft palate. What intrigued the archaeologists at this point is that the evidence is, of this man was, is that he was crucified in a manner resembling the crucifixion of Jesus. Seven-inch nail had been driven through both feet, which were turned outwards so that the nail could be hammered inside the Achilles tendon. Archaeologists discovered that the nails had been driven through his lower forearms, and so a victim of a crucifixion would have to raise their body up in order to breathe. And to do this, they needed to push up on on his pierced feet and pull up with his arms at the same time. And Johann's upper arms were smoothly worn on the bone, indicating that that there was this movement. Movement. In John, it records that in order to expedite the death of a prisoner in the book of John, the executioners would break the legs of the victims so that they could not lift themselves up by pushing with his feet. That's what scripture says. Johann's legs were found crushed by a blow, breaking them below the knee. The Dead Sea Scrolls themselves, other historical documents, tell that both Jews and Romans, they abhorred crucifixion due to the cruelty and the humiliation that that came with it. But the scrolls also state that it was a punishment reserved for slaves and for anyone who challenged the ruling powers of Rome. And this probably explains why Pilate chose crucifixion as a penalty for Jesus. What about the evidence for Pontius Pilate? The governor who presided over the trial of Jesus. Well, something was discovered at Caesarea uh, Maritama in 1961. An Italian archaeologist named Antonio Frova uncovered a fragment of a plaque that was used as a section of steps leading to the Caesarea theater. The inscription written in Latin contained the phrase Pontius uh, Pilatus, Prefect of Judea, has dedicated to the people of Caesarea a temple in honor of Tiberius. And so the temple itself is dedicated to Emperor Tiberius, who reigned from 14 to 37 A.D. And this fits very well with the chronological of the New Testament, which records that Pilate ruled as a procreator uh, from 26 to 36 A.D. over Judea. The Babylonian Talmud makes an interesting reference. It records that on the eve of the Passover, they hang Yeshua of Nazareth. And the herald went before him for forty days, saying, "Yeshua of Nazareth is going to be stoned, in that he had practiced sorcery and beguiled and led people astray, led it, uh, astray Israel. Let everyone, knowing ought his defense, come and plead for him. But they found not in his defense, and they hanged him the eve of Passover. Yeshu, which is Jesus in Aramaic, was crucified by the Jews. Relating to crucifixion in 1878, a stone slab is found in Nazareth with a decree from Emperor Claudius on it, who reigned from 41 to 54 AD. It stated that the graves must not be disturbed, nor bodies be removed. Isn't that interesting? The punishment on the other degrees is a fine, but this one threatens death and comes very close to the time of the resurrection. He had certainly heard of the resurrection. He didn't want any other similar incidences. And so this decree was probably made in connection with the apostles' preaching of Jesus' resurrection and the Jewish argument that the body had been stolen. One of the first Gentiles who makes mention of Jesus is Thalus, the Samaritan-born historian. He wrote in AD 52, and he wrote in the history of the uh, the Eastern Mediterranean from the time uh, of the Trojan War to his own time. And his writings have disappeared, and we only know of them from fragments of those writings that are actually cited by other uh, writers. And one writer is Julianus of uh, Africanus, and he is a Christian writer, and he's about—he quotes this guy in uh, 221 A.D. And one very interesting passage relates to a comment from Thelos about the darkness. During the last three hours, Jesus was on the cross, and Julius Africanus, he writes, he says, Thales, in the third book of his histories, explains away this darkness as an eclipse of the sun, unreasonably, as it seems to me unreasonably, of course, because a solar eclipse could not take place at the time of the full moon, and it was at the season of the Passover full moon that Christ died. So from this reference, we see that the gospel account of darkness which fell upon the land, during Christ's crucifixion was well known and and required a naturalistic explanation from non-believers who actually witnessed it and so they said it was an eclipse there's another historian of uh, Flajon uh, who uh, Ph- Felagon I, I hate these names uh, we only know of his writings it's called Chronicles and uh, again they've only been cited by other historians Julian Africanus Origen and uh, Philippon all make reference to this guy's writings about the darkness which fell upon the land during Christ's crucifixion and very possibly the earthquake that took place was well known. Um, Pliny the Younger was the governor of Bithynia in Asia Minor. He wrote Emperor Trajan and this one is very profound. He's writing the Emperor and he's trying to get counsel from the Emperor. How do we treat the Christians? This is, uh, you know, A.D. 112. Now get this. He explained that he had been killing both men and women, boys and girls, and that there were so many, think about it, Christians being put to death that he wondered if he should continue killing anyone who was discovered to be a Christian. And or if he should kill only certain people. That is the nature of the letter he is writing. He explains that he made Christians bow down to statues of Trajan. And he goes on to say that he also made them curse Christ. Which, was, which he said a genuine Christian cannot be induced to do. And then in the same letter of the people who were being tried, he writes this, Meanwhile, in the case of those who were denounced to me as Christians, I have observed the following procedure. I interrogated these as to whether they were Christians. Those who confessed, I interrogated a second and a third time, threatening them with punishment. Those who persisted, I ordered executed. Those who denied that they were or had been Christians, when they invoked the gods in the words, Uh, dictated by me, offered prayer with incense and wine to your image, which I had ordered to be brought for this purpose, together with the statues of the gods, and moreover, cursed Christ, none of those who are really Christians, it is said, can be forced to do. These, I thought, should be discharged, so if they ever turned on the name of Jesus, they were let go, which I need to do a shout out to the movie Silence, if you haven't seen it. Wow. He goes on, he writes, They asserted, however, the sum and substance of the fault or error that had uh, been accustomed to meet on a fixed day before dawn and sing responsively a hymn to Christ as to a God and to bind themselves by oath, not to some crime, not, but not to commit fraud, theft, or adultery, not falsify their trust, nor refuse to return trust when called upon to do so. When this was over, it was their custom to depart, and to assemble again, and to do what? To eat. Christians ate. (coughs) But ordinary and innocent food. Even this they affirmed that they had ceased to do after my edict, by which, in accordance with their instructions, I had forbidden political associations." So he's, he's choked with the practice of the Christians. Accordingly, I judged it all more necessary to find out what the truth was by torturing two female slaves who were called deaconesses. But I discovered nothing else but depraved, excessive superstition. I therefore postponed the investigation and hastened to consult you, for the matter seemed to me to warrant consulting you, especially because of the number involved. For many persons of every age, every rank and also of both sexes are and will be endangered, the gospel was spreading. For the contagion of the superstition has spread not only to the cities but also the villages and farms. He is documenting the persecutions of the Christians by the Romans. Christians who are willing to die for their faith. And to curse Jesus, he understood it to be an impossibility of Christians. You, as a Christian, you cannot turn your back on Christ. And so reference is also made to the habits of them worshiping on a fixed day, and which is Sunday, which was the day that they gathered together to celebrate the resurrection and viewing Jesus as God and committing themselves to good living. And then the statement that often in ancient literature that is, is there, excessive superstition appears to be a reference to the resurrection. Roman governor historian Cornelius Tatticus, again 112 AD, while writing uh, during the reign of Nero, Tatticus alludes to the death of Christ and the existence of Christians at Rome at this time. But not all the relief that would come from man, not all the bounties that the prince could bestow, nor all the atonements which could be presented to the gods, availed to relieve Nero from the infamy of being believed to have ordered the conflagration, the fire of Rome. Hence, to suppress the rumor, he falsely charged with the guilt and punishment with the most exquisite tortures the persons commonly called Christians, who were hated for their enormities. Christus, the founder of the name, was put to death by Pontius Pilate. Interesting uh, uh, collaboration. Procreator of Judea in the reign of Tiberius, but the pernicious superstition repressed for a time, broke out again, not only throughout Judea, but the mischief originated, but through the city of Rome also. In other words, this superstition, this word of the resurrection is spreading like wildfire. The Christian movement has come across Rome, and they're trying to suppress it. He documents the persecution of the Christians by Nero. affirms that the, the Messiah was put to death by Pilate. It was this uh, pernicious superstition, this, this resurrection, and this faith that spread through Rome that caused such a stir. Suetonius in one twelve writes about the punishment Nero also re- inflicted on the Christians, and he makes reference to them as a, a class of men given to a new and mischievous or per, uh, pernicious superstition. Again, another reference to the resurrection through coming out in, in the... The secular works of history, Lucian Samosada, he was a satirist, a humorist of the second century. He, he didn't like Jesus or Christians that much. He actually spoke very scornfully of them. He goes on, he writes, "...the Christians you know worship the man who was crucified in Palestine because he introduced this new cult into the world. Furthermore, their first lawgiver persuaded them that they were all brothers one of another from the moment that they were converted." brothers and sisters they deny the Greek gods they worship that crucified Sophus himself and live under his laws again he gives evidence that Jesus was crucified in Palestine that he was the founder of the Christian faith that he taught brother-like love and that Christians deny that there's any other God and that they worship Jesus we see this coming throughout the annals of history in 150 AD Justin martyr he's addressing his defense of Christianity to the Emperor Pius and, then, and, he, and he refers to, it's interesting in the letter, he refers to Pilate's report, which Justin understood was in the imperial archives. So supposedly, Pilate recorded what took place with Jesus. However, these documents have, not been, uh, uh, have now been lost. But Justin Martyr's testimony demonstrates that Christ's crucifixion was documented in the New, um, not just in the New Testament Gospels, but also is recorded in pagan history. In the British Museum, there's an interesting manuscript preserving the text of a letter of a, written around the sometime of 73 AD. The letter was sent by a Syrian named Marabar Serapion to his son. Now, Marabar Serapion was in prison at the time, and he wrote to encourage his son in the pursuit of wit- uh, wisdom, and he, to point it out that there are those persecuted wise men who were overtaken by misfortune over time. And he talks about Socrates and, and Pythagoras, and he talks about Jesus. He goes, what advantage did the Athenians gain from putting Socrates to death? Famine and plague came upon them as a judgment for their crime. What advantage did the man of Semos gain from burning a, a, a Pythagoras? In a moment, their land was covered with sand. What advantage did the Jews gain from executing their wise king? It was just after that that their kingdom was abolished. God justly avenged these three wise men. The Athenians died of hunger. The Samarians were overwhelmed by the sea. The Jews, ruined and driven from their land, live in complete dispersion. But Socrates did not die for good. He lived on in the teaching of Plato. Pythagoras did not die for good. He lived on in the statue of Herna, nor did the wise king die for good. He lived on in the teaching which he had given. This ancient doctrine collaborates that Jesus' death, that his teaching obviously had continued on. He had followers who were spreading his teaching. And then there was a Jewish-Roman historian, Flavius Josephus. He made three valuable references that we cannot overlook. The first describes John the Baptist just as the Gospels do. The second goes on and um, describes the death of James, which was Jesus' brother. And this reference to Jesus being the brother of James fits our New Testament data, but that Jesus is further identified the Christ, the Messiah here is remarkable in light of the following quotation from Josephus. He is already called the Christ. So here is a Jew, a Roman, calling Jesus the Christ, a non-believer. The third excerpt comes from a special interest, what it says about Jesus, and this is what Josephus writes. He goes, now there is about this time Jesus, a wise man, if it be lawful to call him a man. For he was a doer of wonderful works, a teacher of such men, received the truth with pleasure. He drew over to him both many of the Jews, many of the Gentiles. He was the Christ. And when Pilate, at the suggestion of the principal men among us, had condemned him to the cross, those that loved him at first did not forsake him. For he appeared to them alive Again, the third day, as divine prophets had foretold these and 10,000 other wonderful things concerning him, and the tribe of the Christians, so named for him, are not extinct to this day. He's called a wise man, (laughs) hinting that he's more than just a man. He did wonderful works. He was a great teacher. He was the Messiah that was condemned by Pilate. He rose from the dead the third day. This movement of Christians continued at the time of Josephus' writing. This is actually the strongest collaboration of the resurrection of Jesus and his mission outside the New Testament documents. So let's go back to Scripture. We left out, he is not here, he is risen, just as he said, to which I said, wow, simply put, Jesus can be trusted. We believe he can be trusted on a resurrection Sunday, is, is when we pause and we have to ask ourselves, where am I with Jesus? Not churches, not religion, not all sorts of intellectual arguments, or people who have burned or betrayed you. But where are you this morning with Jesus? Because we believe that he can be trusted with your past, with your addictions, with your present, with your wounds, with your abuse, with your guilt, with your future, with your next step, with your journey, with your figuring out what the right thing is to do. We believe that Jesus can be trusted. And so we continue to read. Come and see the place where he lays. So then. Go quickly tell the disciples. He's risen from the dead and he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There in Galilee will you see him. Now I have told you. And so here we have these women, these followers of Jesus, go to his tomb. They encounter this angel who tells them not to fear and that Jesus not, is not there, that he is risen. He basically says, let me prove it to you. This is what the angel says, sort of. He says, come and see the place where he lay. And then he tells them to go tell the others what has happened. And the others being the male disciples who are in hiding. Interesting how it's the male disciples who all deserted Jesus. And it was the females who stuck by his side through the whole thing. And that's a whole nother sermon. And so we got to continue reading. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy. And they ran to tell the disciples. And suddenly, suddenly, Jesus met them. And greetings. He said, hello, hey, whoa, what's up? I am. I'm pretty sure he said it that way. And they came to him, and they clasped his feet. They worshiped him. And Jesus said, don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to go to Galilee there, they'll see me. I think we're repeating ourselves. So let's recap. The angel tells the woman what has happened. Then he tells them to go tell the other disciples what has happened. The women run. They run into Jesus. He affirms that what has happened has happened. Take my word for it. Just trust me. And then he says to them, now you go and you tell them what has happened. Are you tracking with me? Okay, thank you. At least. And then we read. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city. They reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the other elders and had advised the plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money and telling them, you're to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away uh, while we were asleep, <laughs> which was actually a penalty for death. So these guys are telling people not to tell people what happened, but rather to tell people something else happened. Scripture says, if this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. In other words, we'll gut your backs, buddy. We'll pay you money. It's hush money. Don't worry about it. And so the soldiers took the money as they did and did as they were instructed. And so the story had been widely circulated amongst the Jews to this very day that the disciples stole the body. So then we finally have, in this chapter, the 11 disciples. They meet up with Jesus in Galilee. And we have a crazy pattern taking place here. Jesus tells the disciples, they meet up, he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And finally we have a whole lot of people telling people to tell people what happened and when they told some people, they told some people and they told some people and they told some people and then somebody told somebody and I told you and that's why when somebody shares their story of life transformation about what Jesus did for them or becomes obedient and gets baptized in water, it taps actually deep within us so profound into the deepest recesses of our heart that he is alive and well, what has Jesus done? He says, "Go tell the story. Go tell the story." When we hear the stories of life transformation, something within us needs to say, "I need to hear that." And it's because it's it, 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 honestly, it's a tradition that's thousands of years old. It's fascinating. Notice nobody is trying to do any proving here in the scriptures there's this crucifixion, there's this funeral, there's an open tomb, and all the witnesses see to it. There's nobody there with a cell phone putting it on video right away and uploading it to Facebook or Instagram. There's no, yeah, hey, look at, these are the sample of the burial clothes, but I'm pretty sure you can get a piece of the cross if you go to Israel right now. There's no one saying, hey, you need to prove this. You need need to prove how this happened. But rather, simply what we read is all they did was go and tell. And history documents the effects of that to where it brings us to this very day. Because from that moment of encountering Jesus, the word spread. And the word spread throughout all of Israel and all of Asia. The word spread into Europe. And you know what? Eventually, the word is spread overseas. And it's come here to us today. And the word is constantly spreading Now, I can't prove to you the resurrection, but I can point you to it, and I can point it in my life, and I can point it in the life of others, and and we can hear stories, and we can see people who are acting out on their belief in the resurrection, like all these notes that are nailed to this cross from Bad Friday. There's a story behind each one of them. Just like there's a story behind each one of those faces in that baptismal video. You don't have anybody concerned on how you're going to prove it. But rather, the driving force here is not that we need to prove this. The driving force here is, I just need to tell the story that Jesus can be trusted, and I live it. So what's your story with Jesus? Just tell it. Just live it. And live it in such a way that people want to know why you live the way you do. Because if we believers, if we live the way that we should be living, we should be causing a disruption. Like we read in some of these historical things. That, these guys are acting so good, this is not good. We need to kill them. And when people look at us and we're living as believers, we need to be prepared to give an answer for the hope that's within us. So that over and over again, you don't have people just trying to prove it, you simply witness the reality of Jesus. Jesus lives and he makes a difference in my life. And what uh, what is fascinating in our passage is a verse that I intentionally left out if you were following along. He's going, he didn't read verse 17, he didn't read verse 17, well here's verse 17. When they get to this mountain where Jesus is with his disciples, this is what we read. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. How many people were at the mountain? Crickets. Awesome. How many people? Thank you. Thank you, 11. Yeah. Yeah, remember one died. Okay. Just helping you with your biblical aspect, right? So, well, 12 of you include Jesus. All right, excellent. It's 11. The disciples are there. These guys who lived with Jesus We're walking through the, Beat- uh, through the whole book of Mark, but we're going we're to see what Jesus is saying to them. They've lived with him for three years. He's risen. He's meeting them of the 11. It doesn't say how many doubted. It says some doubted. That's plural. Jesus has risen from the dead, and there are some of those guys who have met him. In Galilee, you are the son of God. Woo! You can do it. You did it. That's what did. I'm pretty sure that's what they were saying. They're pumped about Jesus. But then there's others like, I'm not so sure. Because that's exactly what doubt is. So out of the 11, there are some who doubted. All these things could be told. We are told that out of all the things the gospel writers could have written, we're told that some of the first witnesses to this great event, they believed, but also others, witnesses, doubted. And what does Jesus say to the ones who doubted? And to the ones who believe? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go, go, go in your doubts and make disciples. Of the nations, baptizing them in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them everything I've commanded you. Guys, remember, we spent three years together, and surely I am with you all the time. You got me, boys. I got your back until the very end of the age. And so there are some who are doubting, and then Jesus comes to them and simply says, go and give witness to this resurrection to the ends of the earth. And maybe you're here today and you're kind of going, I'd love to believe in this resurrection and I'd love to sing the songs. I'd like to clap and, you know, be extremely Christian happy on Easter, yeah? But the truth is, let's be honest, some of you are in bad shape today. Welcome to Seoul. Maybe you're doubting, maybe you lost someone, maybe you're trying to leave things behind and they're not going to stay back there. Maybe they're following you into the present. Maybe you've gone through a terrible relational hell and and you've gone through a betrayal. Maybe you've gone through a divorce. Maybe it's been an affair and you're thinking, it's nice that there's an open tomb and everything in my life though, Jerry. It feels like it's closed and dark for me. And Jesus' last words to his disciples both those who were in with both feet and those who doubted, all of them, he says, you go and witness it. Go and tell the story. And Jesus is saying, it's okay, it's okay. Let the community will carry you when you can't carry yourself. You know, I think of all the the number of times I've been in bad shape and you've carried me. The emails, the Facebook messages, the, the texts that say, Hey, Jerry, we're praying for you. To which I say from the bottom recesses of our heart, on behalf of Sharon and I, thank you. And I look over our community, and I think about the number of times uh, of the valley experiences of pain, of hurt, of doubt, of obstruction, of struggles, I uh, watch that as we, as a community, though, during those times, we would walk to the communion tables. And we would receive those elements, and I have watched you take those elements, and in some cases, obviously doing some serious work of the soul, and in some cases, serious repentance or confession, in some cases, reconciliation. And I think to myself, when we go through this, this is real. People living out their faith, even when things are tough, And then I hear the stories of life transformation, the stories of healing that we just recorded. Those of you who are giving yourselves to a world that desperately needs it, and you're serving, and that is real. And where stories of life change transcends those debates of world religions, or, you know, what is the Bible, rather Jesus, Jesus changed my life. And now it's my job to tell the story and to see change. You know, Jesus doesn't say go into the world with uh, clever arguments and three easy points to prove that all this happened. He says to some of those who believed and to the others around who doubted, he says, go, go, live out the resurrection. Go tell the story that the tomb is empty, that I did, I did what I said I could do, that I can be trusted because that is what our world needs. And today, if you're doubting, let me just say this. Let the community carry you along. Just let what is true carry you along. Maybe the person sitting next to you has experienced the resurrection, life change. Maybe they've experienced healing, burdens lifted. So then my suggestion to you is then to draft on them a little bit for a while. Do you know what drafting is? It's not a class you take in high school. It's when one vehicle falls closely behind behind the other, reducing the overall drag so that the vehicle in the back doesn't have to work as hard. And sometimes in our faith walk, we need to draft behind those uh, who are prepared to carry the weight of their brothers and sisters, who are prepared to be there to support us when we don't have the gumption, when we don't have the gas or the energy until we can regain the lead by ourselves again. And some of you need to draft today. And that's the beautiful thing here. That's why I love my church. It's Resurrection Sunday, and not everybody here has it all together. Not everybody here feels that they can give 100% celebration to the fact and song. But here in our community, we have very real people who are struggling at times with how is that even possible? And others who are sitting right beside them who say, I believe and I know and let me tell you a story. And for those of you who are doubting, my encouragement is to let you allow this community to carry you along. And then maybe at some point you'll realize, yeah, that the tomb is open for you. And, and you are living in it, and you will be singing, yes, the tomb is empty. And then at that point, then you can carry somebody else along. You know, Friday, we, we nailed our sins, we nailed our stuff. We nailed our burdens. We nailed story. We nailed our need for forgiveness and our need for healing. We nailed heavy. We nailed heartful stuff. We nailed it to the cross. And I believe because I see resurrection. I saw people leaving Friday and coming Sunday, leaving death and stepping into life. And that's exactly what Jesus had in mind because you can't argue with that. A life change, somebody transforms, somebody who says enough of this and dumps it and leaves it behind for forgiveness and for freedom. You can't argue with that. And if you struggle with doubt, let the community care for you and believe. At this point, just believe what you can believe. And I believe that Jesus changed the life of his disciples and that their story has been passed down from person to person to generation to generation until we find ourselves literally here today facing an empty cross and an empty tomb. And so I encourage you to trust and allow Jesus to simply guide you along. We will never have all the answers and when you doubt on Resurrection Sunday, let me just say this, you're not the first one. Let the community carry you along, and secondly, secondly, one of the cures for doubt, are you ready for this? Is to do something. Jesus' intention was to get a group of people together who believed in the resurrection. They came together as a community, we call it the church. And so the church is the resurrection community. It's a group of people who, because they believe the tomb is empty, they believe that there is nothing more that they would rather do than spend the time with a resurrection hope and life to those who are the worst off and have the least amount of hope and the most amount of despair, and they go into those places to make a difference. We see that through the history of the Christian church. The starting of schools and the, 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 the missionaries going out to bring, bring hope to dark nations, to start hospitals, to start schools, to take care of orphans, to help with human travel. We see it even today. Am I right? And then I look at the church, even our church today, and all the people that we support all over the world. Soul Sanctuary supports Africa, Asia, Central America, North America, um, South America, Eastern Europe. We, as a church community, are making a global difference. So not only do we have this resurrection hope, we push it out through others. And so my understanding is that that ultimately the resurrection is not a finely crafted intellectual argument. Our understanding is that the resurrection is a reality that a community puts on display for a world that desperately needs it. So if you are a part of the church, the world in which you live needs you. They need the light of Christ that shines in you and through you. So what does it look like for us to intentionally go after these things and, and bring resurrection hope to some people who need it the most? And let's say today you're doubting. And in the midst of your doubt, you can, let me just say this, you, you need to know that you can actually bring resurrection to somebody else. Interesting how, once again, things are just bigger than who we are. So in resurrection, as we explore where we are Each with Jesus and what it means to trust Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, for eternal life. That begins now for a new life with our past, our presence, our wounds, our future, our brokenness, our heartache, our betrayal. As we talk about that, what better for us to celebrate resurrection but by practicing it and doing it. Ultimately, Jesus invites us to trust him to live it out. So I've been given a whole lot of thought and I was trying to figure out how can we do this as a community and, and honestly, what I just felt speaking to me is we need to give it to those who, who need it the most. And so I'm going, okay, well, we, God, like, you know, we support all these other places all over. You know, and I'm suggesting this morning, every one of you, not just the doubters, especially the doubters, that we take up a resurrection offering to help those in need to provide resurrection to others. Oh, too bad, Jerry, I don't bring cash. Awesome. We have a text-to-give card. So there's text-to-give cards at the two joy baskets and at the Welcome Center. You can text-to-give. It doesn't come off your phone bill. Go straight to your credit card. Follow the prompts. Just put it under other omissions. Anything that comes in this week will go to what I'm about to tell you about. If you've got a checkbook, if you've got your visa, you can do this thing right here. It's just called it an envelope and just put what I'm about to tell you to put on here. Fill it out and drop it into the joy basket. Because I got to thinking, I thought, we could give to organizations that we already sponsor, or we can look beyond our borders. And we can give to them maybe an organization that we haven't had any involvement with. So I went to Facebook, of course, because that's the best place to go for all research. <coughs> and I asked a simple question, you know, what, uh, what organization needs help? And many people began to chant, in, and some representing their own organizations. But what struck me most was the leader of a nonprofit organization that could use the money. And what he does is he points to another nonprofit in the city. So here's how it goes. I was moved by that. And I'd like to challenge us here at Soul Sanctuary to take Steve Paulson of Teen Challenge up on his recommendation. And I would like us as a church to make an Easter offering to Lighthouse Mission. Like I said, you can go to the welcome desk, you can I think uh, Elson is here, she even has a debit machine. We'll gladly do that your way, and you can text to give, you can give write a check, write another check, put it on your visa, you can go online, do it I don't care. Really. but let's give a resurrection offering today to lighthouse mission. The resurrection is the victory in the Christian story. It's the linchpin. It, the resurrection tells us that what we do here today matters. We die with Christ. We are raised with Christ, a new life, to a new ethic. The battle is won. The kingdom has come. And it matters that we care... deeply about justice for the poor to alleviate hunger and disease that we care for our environment because the world is not an accident that will eventually die in the passing of the sun because if you believe that because without the victory without the resurrection we don't we ultimately if we're going to be honest with ourselves then we stand with Nietzsche And Nietzsche wrote, once upon a time on a little star in a distant corner of the universe, clever little animals invented for themselves proud words like truth and goodness. But soon enough, the little star cooled, and the little animals had to die with them with their proud words. But the universe, never missing a step, drew another breath and moved on, dancing in its cosmic dance across the endless sky. To which I say, but no, Frederick. The tomb is empty because he is risen, and now we go tell the story. So my words and my encouragement to you today is that we bless Lighthouse Mission. I did more research and they won't turn away anybody. Other organizations in our city, they have their own set of rules and that's good and I understand why they do, but Lighthouse doesn't turn away anybody. We don't have a partnership. We got nothing invested. Let's give an Easter offering. It's that easy. I'm not gonna twist your arms. I'm just going to ask you, stand with me, please. Let's pray. Father of glory, we praise you that you mightily raised your son Jesus from the dead. And we praise you that the stone which the builders rejected has become this cornerstone. That this is your doing. And, it, it, and it's marvelous in our eyes. Death could not hold him, we sing. Our last enemy has fallen before the power and triumph of Jesus over death. And we have been freed from fear of this ancient enemy. So now, now God grant us to live in the riches of all that Jesus' resurrection means. That all authority belongs to him in heaven and on earth. No power, no enemy can prevail against him. And only good can come to us in the end as we trust in him. best is yet to come. And God, we love you. We acknowledge our pain, our brokenness, our wounds, and we surrender them to you. And we believe that a, a, a tomb is empty, that Jesus is risen, that you are reclaiming all of creation. God, we want to live in this big story. We understand that death entered in a garden with the first humans, but Jesus rose from the dead in a garden. God, we want to live in the midst of this story that you're telling, that death has entered the human story, but through Jesus' death, it has been conquered. So, Father, banish fear and discouragement. And the moodiness from our lives. Wash away the dirt, the grime on our souls. And freshen our spirit as a spring rain freshens the earth. Give us strength to live as you want us to live. Rivet our attention on the ultimate reality of Christ's final triumph over death. Never let us forget or fail to feel universal glory that you have given Jesus. That name that is above every name. Make this practical in our daily lives as we see every person, great and small, facing someday the risen and triumphal judge of the nations. Give us a broken-hearted boldness in the mercy and might of Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you're going, I want that hope, I want that fire, I want that passion, I need it, I need it. And if that's you you today, I want you to pray along with me. Maybe you're already there. That's fine. These are for those who are going, I just need that. I need what you're talking about, Jerry. And just pray with me, Jesus. You died on the cross for me and I receive forgiveness for my sins. Wash me clean. Make me new. I give you my life. Help me to follow you every day. Lead me. Guide me. Make me your own. Resurrect me from the dead and make me new in Christ. Amen. If you pray that this morning, please tell someone. Tell us. Go to that cross over there at the end. Pastor Jordan McClellan will be there. Just fill out one of these things. We'll get in contact with you. If you're on that walk and you're doubting, listen, I cannot help but encourage you to go to renovate these next three Wednesdays that Pastor Jordan is teaching. Just we're trying to establish things to pour into people's life to help them grow in their faith. We'll give you those materials. We'll walk with you. We'll journey with you. We'll celebrate with you. We'll cry with you. Father, we want our lives to count for the display of His greatness. And so now, we want to practice resurrection with our money. You know what? When I say that, it just drives some people crazy. It means you've got a problem, not me. We understand that you invite us to use our time, our energies, our passions. But right now, we want to bring resurrection to those who need it right now on this Sunday in which the tomb is empty. And so God, with our offerings, we bless Lighthouse mission today. Work in us to this end with all your might, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. And by the way, Lighthouse has no idea what we're doing. In ancient time, the one who blessed extends his hands for a blessing. Oh, I've been waiting all year for this one. May God the Father The one who brought Jesus back to life and the one who has the power that brings us to life and the Holy Spirit who sustains us, who sends us out from this place of worship and time of celebration to live what? Lives of hope, to be nurturers of the vision of wholeness, and to serve as healers in this wounded world. And don't forget the gift. Amen. Rejoice, for he is risen.